This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. Last week, Walmart's CEO, Doug McMillan, announced that the company is going to stop selling certain types of guns and ammunition. Now, Part of the reasoning behind this move was the mass shooting at a Walmart in El Paso last month. Since McMillan announced the change, many have wondered whether this is a watershed moment in the realm of corporate responsibility, since Congress hasn't done anything to legislatively address the gun violence and mass shooting epidemic that is growing every month in this country. Here to talk about the issue of gun violence, the lack of legislation on the issue, and how to approach this problem from a public health perspective is David Hemingway. He is a professor of health policy at the Harvard School of Public Health. David, welcome to Detroit Today. Uh, thank you. So I want to start with this uh, action that Walmart is uh, taking. What's your take on that? Uh, is tackling gun violence through a sense of corporate responsibility the right way to think about it? Um, I would say absolutely. The public health approach, uh, one aspect of it anyone, a, anyway, is to really uh, everyone to agree we have a big societal problem and to step back and think what can everybody do in corporations or one groups that can do something to try to reduce this problem. Healthcare providers can do things. The faith community can do things. Insurers can do things. Hollywood can do things. Um, News reporters can do things, advice columnists can do things, unions can do things, foundations can do things, universities can do things, banks can do things, and on and on. And who else can do things are uh, firearm manufacturers, gun trainers, gun retailers. I'd just like to talk a little about our work with uh, finding common ground, working Mm -hmm. together. How can we all work together? Because this is part of the public health approach. Let's get everyone to help and work together to solve this problem. I'd like to talk just a little about our work with um, gun trainers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Gun trainers are trying to do a really good job reducing gun accidents. Uh, Kathy Barber and our group went out to Utah, which is the concealed carry training place that most people, so many people get their training from, uh, it's the gun training capital, uh, and talked to them and, 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 you know, said you're doing a good job about gun accidents, but did you know that for every accidental gun death in Utah, there are over 80 gun suicides, and suicides, there are many more gun suicides in the United States than gun homicides, Mm -hmm. Uh, and that there are lots of things that can be done. And they said, gee, we, you know, we didn't know that, and she worked with them. And now they have a module, which they use uh, in all the gun training uh, classes, all the concealed carry classes, which is based on friends don't let friends drive drunk, this sort of notion that uh, friends can help. Uh, and it's the argument is that uh, if someone is going through a bad period, because people aren't suicidal every at minute and every day, uh, they go through bad periods, which is why we have suicide watches in prisons, because you go through a bad period, then after a while you don't need a suicide watch. And if your friend is going through a bad patch, uh, he's just getting divorced, and he's drinking, and he's talking crazy, the new social norm should be among gunners that it's your responsibility, and he should know it's your responsibility, to, quote, babysit, and quote, his gun for a while, I get the gun out of the house because the evidence is overwhelming that a gun in the home increases the risk for suicide Hmm. because it's so lethal. 
got the gun out of the house for a while, and then after a while he gets a new girlfriend and things seem to be better again, and then he gets his gun back. And they think this is a really good uh, one of the many, many good approaches, and we're working with them. So I would argue that you just don't have to sort of sit around and wait for the government to pass certain laws, that there are lots of other things that can be done. Hmm. So one of the things that's true, though, about uh, our institutions, our government institutions, and the idea of treating the gun and violence epidemic as a public health issue is that they are prevented from doing that by Congress. The Congress has said we can't really use the government as a way to research or advocate on behalf of a public health approach. Can you talk about what kind of limitation that puts yeah, on your so, efforts? So it's really just at the federal government level. Yes. And we have all these state and local governments. So, for example, the federal government has been really afraid to um, pass uh, to support gun research. So the CDC does virtually nothing about uh, researching gun violence in the United States. But now three states have stepped up. So New Jersey and Washington and California are all giving more than a million dollars a year for gun researchers. So that's going to be great. We're going to get more information. California, uh, the federal government doesn't do as good a job as one would hope uh, in terms of getting good data, which are really important to understand the problem and to know what to do. But California has a much better data system. Data and research are important. And it's true, government can do lots of things. Government write standards. Government use, can use information and persuasion. I'd love to see the Surgeon General say something. Government has taxes and can, and can subsidize things. Uh, government's a big buyer, so it can... A big reason we have airbags in the United States is because the government was the first major, major group to buy airbags and showed that they can really work. So yes, it's true that at the present moment, the federal government is not doing what it should be doing, but other groups... Uh, non-governmental groups can also now step up and do more things. Foundations, for example, in terms of, I I talk about funding research because I'm a researcher and research turns out to be very important, but foundations are only beginning to step up to to provide more uh, funding for research. Uh, Historically, the Wellness Foundation has done a great job. The Joyce Foundation has done a great job. Now the Arnold Foundation is stepping up. But more foundations have to not be afraid of the hassle because uh, just cause, because guns are so controversial. I wonder if you can also help us put now in context in terms of how we are thinking about gun policy and what we're doing about yeah. gun policy. We're seeing more of these mass shooting incidents than we yeah. normally see, but they, of course, are not the bulk of uh, the shootings or the killings that take place. Is there something about, though, the high-profile nature of these kinds of things that is moving the needle faster than, than it yes. might have been uh, there's, before? there's no question. that. And if you look at the other developed countries, typically when they have mass shootings, as uh, what happened in Australia, uh, what happened in Dunblane, Scotland, this is a time where it's very newsworthy, and so people start talking about guns, and this is a time when it's a good time to think about all aspects of the gun problem and to do something, because otherwise there's so many other concerns. Uh, and perhaps that may happen in the United States, because we are having these mass sh- public mass shootings so much more often, and it's affecting not only inner cities and, and, and so forth, but it's, it's really affecting everybody. Now, 
<clears throat> when students all over the United States have to have lockdown drills. I mean, no other uh, developed country doesn't is not a war uh, has these kind of things. And so, yes, hopefully this will be a wake up call. And a lot of things are happening. Uh, we we see that corporations really are doing a lot more. There's a lot more researchers who are trying to to do things. We have now a really uh, interesting and good uh, daily. Uh, newspaper online called The Trace, uh, which is providing really good information. Yes, <clears throat> and so there's, I, I think there's, there are more things happening, uh, which is all to the good. And maybe, and uh, I wrote this book uh, a number of years ago about success stories in injury and violence prevention, 64 documented successes, and in all of them, there was fierce opposition, and suddenly there was a tipping point. And you just have to push and push, and hopefully a tipping point will occur. Mm. My guest is David Hemingway. He is a professor of health policy at the Harvard School of Public Health. And we're talking about the gun violence that we're seeing right now in more uh, frequent uh, numbers than we normally do, the mass shootings that we keep seeing around the nation and the effect that it's having on the debate over gun policy. Are we moving toward an approach that would take more of a public health uh, approach to the gun violence epidemic and come up with solutions that we hadn't maybe thought of before. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. Talk to us about what you think about the epidemic of gun violence in this country. Is it a public health issue? And ought we be addressing it more in that way than we do. What would you like to see done about the epidemic of gun violence in uh, the United States? Not just the high-profile mass shootings that get a lot of attention, but also the shootings that we see every day in cities like Detroit, uh, the shootings that we know take uh, people's lives uh, when they commit suicide in this country. Uh, what are the things that we ought to be thinking about that would reduce those things? As always, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Also, tell us if you think we are at a turning point in the debate over gun policy in the United States. Uh, are we finally going to have a more substantive conversation about this? You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there. Or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we'll try to work you into the conversation. Before we get to phones, uh, David, I want to I ask you to compare the public health um, context of gun violence to, for instance, the public health context that finally emerged around tobacco and cigarette smoking. It seems right. to me that ultimately that was the way that uh, the, the, the power of the tobacco industry was cowed in this nation, was that, uh, ult that, that, that institutions and individuals started to really think about the public health consequences of what was a legal product, uh, and it really changed the way that, that we deal with those things. Are we, are we headed in that direction with guns? Yes, I certainly hope so. There's been so many successes in public health, um, not necessarily complete successes, but uh, real successes in terms of saving lives. Uh, so tobacco is one. Another one is motor vehicles. Yes. Uh, when I was young, uh, we were told, and it's still true, that if drivers never made mistakes and if drivers always obeyed the law, that we would virtually have no motor vehicle crashes and, and almost no deaths. 
Uh, and so initially people were focusing on let's you know work, worry about the driver, the driver, the driver, and public health said, well, fine, but there's other things we can do too. We can make cars much safer. We can make roads much safer. We can improve the emergency medical system. And 60 years later, really nobody thinks drivers are any better today than they were when I was young. Uh, the driver, we're a little better about drunk driving. We're a lot worse about distracted driving. And yet fatalities per mile driven have fallen over 85 percent. Uh, an incredible success story because we didn't just focus on uh, you know, one thing, we looked at a whole variety of things and a whole variety of, of institutions and groups that could try to do something about drunk driving, to try to do something about uh, rollovers and crashes when you, that you wouldn't die when uh, you uh, had a head-on collision and so forth and so on. And data really matter. The thing, one reason we know uh, so much about what to do is because we have a good data system and good research. And so uh, working together, we can really make a big difference in, on firearms as we could in any other major problem if we as a, as a group work together on it. Hmm. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Mark in Northville. Mark, welcome to the show. Hello, uh, long-time listener, and I just wanted to say that your guest just touched on my subject, which okay. is vehicle safety. I mean, we know that helmets save lives. We should have helmets in cars. I mean, it's all race cars racers drive at them but the other point i really wanted to bring up was does anybody really need a corvette or a turbocharged vehicle vehicle uh homicide or uh, uh people getting hurt and maimed in vehicles is a lot more than firearms hmm. and where are you really going to drive that corvette on a racetrack hopefully it's not the interstate because that's where people are driving and hopefully being safe a lot of these vehicles in my opinion I'm kind of being facetious here. Yeah. No, who I, I who see what you're. Them? Yeah. No, I see what you're doing. In other words, if you're going to ban certain kinds of weapons or ammunition, why wouldn't you extend that argument to other other realms where perhaps uh, you know a car that can go zero to sixty in three seconds uh, doesn't seem to have much practical use on our streets either? I get I get what you're. You're playing yeah, and, with there, and, Mark. And, and to say, we, we actually do that. So, for example, uh, three-wheel all-terrain vehicles were banned, and so now you can't buy those. You only can buy four-wheel all-terrain vehicles. Um, there are governors on trucks, uh, and, 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 and there are in cars, too, that could make it if we wanted to, so you couldn't go more than 100 miles an hour, and it would save some lives. Uh, but certainly governors on certain vehicles uh, that prevent you from going uh, much faster than the speed limit uh, have saved lives. Uh, there's there's lots of things. We we make it so you cannot buy a car without a collapsible steering column. You can't mm -hmm. buy a car without airbags these days. You uh, There's a lot of things we do about changing what is allowed for motor vehicles, and we can do the, the same thing in, in every area well, and do. Th there's also, I think, a, an important distinction between motor vehicles and guns. I mean, a motor vehicle has many uses, and its primary use has nothing to do with violence or death. Uh, those are incidental uh, issues with the use of motor vehicles. A gun does not have another use other than to be able to, to shoot somebody or something uh, and is lethal in its, in its design and its purpose. Uh, I, I think you have to think of them differently for that reason. Right. And, and we, we already do have very strict regulations about machine guns, and that they seem to have worked pretty well. Yeah. 
Okay, uh, David Hemenway, professor of health policy at the Harvard School of Public Health. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Sure, thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, up next, we are going to talk with author, activist, and presidential hopeful Marianne Williamson. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Thank <laughs> you.